0: Hey there, girlfriend. This is episode 10. We are talking about muscle. Can we just talk about muscle? And I'm sure you noticed over the past three weeks that there hasn't been an episode drawn. And that is because, as it is wont to do, life got in the way for both Mandy and for me. Mandy will likely be taking a step back from the show. She will definitely be busy behind the scenes and she will be helping to coordinate things with our guest speakers, and I have a wonderful, exciting lineup for season two. And she'll probably pop in to weigh in in her beautiful, practical, pragmatic, and scientific way. But she will be taking a step back from the weekly episodes. In fact, you'll be hearing from other voices, not just mine and not just Mandy's. Uh, But that's coming down the pipe in season two. And because I am a midlife woman in um, America during the holidays, I will also be taking a step back so that I can spend some time with family, spend some time working on this podcast, and spend some more time working in my coaching practice. I'm also continuing to educate myself on how to better serve midlife women in perimenopause and menopause and help them to stay fit and healthy and to achieve their fitness results and fitness goals. So all of, those, all of these things take time. And I'm gonna be really honest with you right now. Starting a podcast has been a dream at least since I started coaching. And I've always thought that it would be a really great way to be able to share the things that I have been privileged and blessed to learn with a wider audience. And I've been so excited and so fortunate to see our audience reaching around the world. And I think that is so exhilarating. And I want to keep it up and want to make sure you're getting great content that is going to be life's impacting for you. But I got to be honest, I didn't know how much work it would be. (laughs) It is mainly a one-woman shop here. So I don't have a team. I don't have an editor. My husband does do some work on the sound quality because that's something that he loves and he's great at. Hi, honey. Thank you. But All of the writing, all of the talking, all of the research has been me and Mandy. So for this first season, it was a two-man show, two-woman show. And this coming season is going to be a lot more of me. And that is a wonderful, exciting honor that I get to, to share these things with you and to share this time with you. But it takes time and it takes effort. So there will probably be a change in our schedule going forward. I haven't made any decisions. I just wanted to let you know that some changes are coming down the pipe. And also, I want you to know that I'm going to be taking a break between season one and season two, as I just mentioned, for the holidays and for planning and recording so that I can give you a better quality product in this podcast without any further interruptions. Stay tuned. I'll be able to announce on all of my channels a better schedule for the future and also get a chance to reach out to more people, hopefully, by uh, sharing more in my social media channels about the podcast and about the the blog and about all of the wonderful content that we've been sharing here. Hopefully, it has been life-changing or at least life-impacting for you. And if it has been, and if you're enjoying it. I would love love to hear from you. Please, it would be wonderful if you just shoot me a quick message. You can email me at Corey at com, or you can reach out on any of the, the, the social media channels. I'm on Facebook at "Can we Just Talk about This?" I'm on Instagram at "Can we just Talk about this podcast? And those are the two main ones, and I also have a, pre- a presence on LinkedIn at "Can we just Talk about this Podcast. So that's the housework. (laughs) That's the veritable, I'm sorry for skipping out on you, for leaving you hanging. That is also what's to to look forward to in the future. Has nothing to do with muscle building, but that's what's coming. So anyway, let me just dive right in. I wanted to come to you and talk to what I think needs to be a number one fitness and health priority for everyone, and that's building muscle. Building muscle should absolutely, wholeheartedly, 100% be prioritized for everyone over weight loss. Now, let me explain. If you have a problem with obesity, most of the time, the problem isn't as much being over fat that problem is mitigated by building muscle. There are so many chemical signals and chemical disruptions and chemical dysfunctions in the environment of obesity, inflammation, and diminished muscle building synthesis. All of these things are problematic specifically in the environment of obesity. But If we continuously try to address obesity with cardio exercise, with dietary changes, with caloric deficit, with cutting down on what we're eating, and those things alone, we will be burning more muscle than we will be burning fat. And we also might get a result. I think anyone that is listening to my voice has probably been on a diet and they get a result. But it's not sustainable unless you build muscle to support that. And we're going to get into that more deeply. Medical guidelines that are being published are starting to catch on to what personal trainers have been trying to tell people. Muscle mass is highly correlated to the prevention of all-cause mortality. Let me say that again. Muscle mass is highly correlated to the prevention of all-cause mortality. Now, let me just break that down a little bit. The more muscle you have on your body, the stronger you are. And in the purpose of the studies, they used grip strength to correlate or to judge strength. The stronger you are, the better your chances are of surviving and thriving and beating any single disease of aging, of any disease. (laughs) Let me just say that, of any disease. So it's really important that we wrap our brains around this because it takes a mindset shift, especially as a midlife woman, as a woman in the United States or anywhere, really, you have probably been bombarded with body image messages. If you're a woman that's been alive since the seventies, you have been bombarded with media in images or otherwise that basically says that skinny equals beautiful, that small equals worthy. And I want to encourage you to flip that on its head, not only to pursue health and pursue muscle, but pursue size, take up space We are entering a time of life when not only is muscle mass protective, but so is a little bit of fat mass. It is protective against falls. It is protective against metabolic problems. It is protective to your health to have a little bit of fat on you. So if you're trying to peel off the very last five pounds, maybe don't. (laughs) Maybe spend time focusing on getting strong instead. So we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to talk about some of the, the science that is, that is mounting in the, in what uh, Dr. Gabriel Lyon calls muscle centric medicine. We're going to talk about some protein recommendations. We're going to talk about all of this in the lens of perimenopause and postmenopause. We're going to talk about how you get started with building muscle. And that the key to that is strength training. And also we'll talk about how pursuing strength and building muscle will translate into aesthetic goals. Instead of only looking at how you look, instead focusing on how you perform, that will translate into looking better. It's circular. So if we focus our efforts on building muscle rather than losing weight, all of these things are going to come into line, and we'll actually look better. We'll lose fat, and we'll talk about how you probably it probably doesn't look exactly like you think it will. We'll go down all of these different rabbit holes, perhaps. Knowing me, I have a tendency to just ramble, and that's what a conversation is, girlfriend. We just follow whatever trail that we have in front of us, and whatever's interesting. And that's what I want to do today. And we'll also talk about overcoming barriers and challenges to incorporating strength training and consistently pursuing adding muscle. And we'll also talk about how to measure success beyond the scale. Because honestly, girlfriend, if we're not pursuing weight loss, why do we even have a scale? We can just toss that bad boy, that heartbreaker, that thing that has made us cry so many times. Throw it in the garbage. You don't need it. As long as you are consistently pursuing the things, the healthy habits that build muscle, You don't need to track it with a scale. So here's the deal. If you have been in the least bit concerned about the way you look and the way you feel, you probably have realized that what used to work in your 20s and your 30s to manage your weight and your fitness quit working in your 40s. And especially, that is especially if you relied on what I call the four Cs, and that is cardio, crash dieting, classes, or cruising. So any one or any combination of these four Cs, cardio, crash dieting, classes, or cruising, probably quit working, or at least isn't quite as effective as it used to be. Now, let me just go over these and definitions. Long hours of cardio, low intensity, steady state, or what we have called LIS, is now being referred to as zone two training. And that refers to your heart rate level that you get up to during your time in training. Now, that has gotten really buzzy and sexy over social media. There are some data that's showing that that zone two training is really good for mitochondrial health. It's good for resetting your nervous system from coming from a sympathetic place to a parasympathetic state, getting more into a restful place. It helps to preserve muscle and all of these things. You would think that means I would say, let's do all zone two training. The problem is that science isn't done on women and particularly it is not done on midlife women. And we'll talk more about how you can address cardiac health and and with your fitness later on because cardio is important. But if all you're doing is walking, or if all you're doing is spending an hour on the elliptical or the Stairmaster or a treadmill, then that's not going to work for you anymore. It may have worked in your 20s to, to drop five pounds quick, but it probably no longer works for you. And that's just a hard truth of midlife. It's no longer working. If you were able to drop 10 pounds in a matter of three weeks by crash dieting so that you could fit into a party dress for the holidays or, or whatever the situation was, that probably doesn't work for you anymore. Continuous dieting, diet cycling, and chronic underfeeding earlier in life can result in less lean mass now and more perimenopausal symptoms. Now, there's nothing we can do necessarily. We can't jump into our hot tub time machine and go back in time and erase any of our dieting history. We can't tap our past self on the shoulder and say, you need to eat, honey. But we can do things now to turn that around. We can make sure that the train doesn't jump the tracks and fall off into an even worse metabolic situation. And we'll talk about how we get there. Classes. I have talked to so many women that, will not darken the doors of a gym to be in there by themselves. But they'll go to classes three to five times a week. I worked in a gym, a big box gym for for several years. I watched members go from class to class, three classes in a day, three classes in a row. Not only were they over-exercising, they were probably doing exercise that really wasn't beneficial to them. And it definitely wasn't giving them the result that they thought they were getting. And invariably, the the same clients that would go from class to class sweating their butts off, probably burning 800 to 1,000 calories or more in three hours would go eat pizza or, or grab a hamburger or fall off of whatever dietary quote wagon that they were on before and over the weekend and then wonder why on earth am I not losing weight? If you have been a class junkie, I get it. There's an accountability structure built in with the community. You're meeting people. You are making friends. And this is a good way to keep up with people. I taught classes. I coached classes. As an instructor and a trainer, I would do two to three classes in a day along with the members of the gym. And sure, it helped me to Feel like Superwoman. I think we've talked about that on this podcast. I felt like Wonder Woman. I felt invincible. I felt like I was in the best shape of my life. And ever since then, I've I've been on a steady climb up in the scale. And so that is something I would love to see reversed. Classes are so much fun, but they do not give you the right muscle building stimulus for what you need especially now in midlife. The fourth C, cruising, if you just were able to do nothing and stay naturally thin, you were just one of those people with a high metabolism, you probably have noticed that has changed lately too. And what you need to do now is look at building muscle. And let's talk about that a little bit because it is my professional opinion that everyone, absolutely everyone, male, female, young and old, should prioritize muscle building for life for longevity for aesthetics for how for every single reason it should be prioritized over weight loss but it's especially important for you girlfriend for all women in midlife because of this hormonal milieu of perimenopause and let's talk about that right now so as estrogen declines insulin resistance goes up estrogen opposes insulin. It helps to keep insulin in check. It is also our anabolic hormone. So if you were a cruiser for all of this time in your 20s and 30s, you didn't really have to do anything and you maintained the same level of muscle mass and bone density the whole time. That is changing now because you are declining in estrogen, just like every other woman in perimenopause. That is the way it all goes. Estrogen as our anabolic hormone, as it declines, we will fundamentally stop maintaining muscle without an outside signal. Because of that, because we're losing muscle, because muscle protein synthesis is impaired and so we are not really able to maintain muscle or even build it as easily, we are, we're not able to use insulin as well. With this decline in estrogen, insulin is harder for the body to use. It doesn't exactly do what it is supposed to do. It's such a beautiful, delicate balance the way all of our hormones work together. Insulin is a hormone, and that hormone is responsible for bringing blood glucose or sugar, blood sugar, from the food that we eat into the muscles. So that we can not only function, not only keep moving, but store as well for a rainy day, so to speak. All of our body functions rely on glucose because it is the building blocks for ATP, which is our energy currency. It is the currency of getting shit done. It is the currency of energy. And, and work in your body. Without ATP, you cannot walk, you cannot think, you cannot do the things you need to do. A lot of the things that go on under the hood that you don't know anything about in your blood system, in your cells, everything that your body does without you paying attention is run by ATP. So without sugar, without glucose, there's no ATP, okay? Now, It has to go through the cell membrane from the blood to be able to be used to make ATP in the mitochondria of the cell. If it is just running around in the bloodstream because you are insulin resistant or more insulin resistant than you were, it has to go somewhere because glucose in the blood, if it's left unsupervised, can cause... Structural damage. It can cause problems. And so the body sequesters it in adipose tissue or body fat, particularly belly fat. And belly fat also produces its own form of estrogen. It's called estrone, which is not as powerful as estradiol, which is the one that balances insulin. So in addition to that, Building muscle is harder because muscle protein synthesis is impaired without a lack of estrogen. So estrogen being your anabolic hormone helps to regulate muscle protein synthesis. And it's easier when you have lots of estrogen on deck to just build muscle just in your everyday until estrogen starts declining. This is what is scary about muscle and the musculoskeletal Functions that and how they're impaired by estrogen. We hear about, we experience them and we live through it. We live with it. We, the night sweats, the hot flashes, the brain fog, the insomnia. We can go through that. And yes, it can be debilitating. But at some point in postmenopause, those things resolve. We get our cognitive function back. We get um, a decent night's sleep back. But the thing about the musculoskeletal changes is it's silent. We don't know that there's a problem with our muscle until we look in the mirror and we see, wow, the things that used to stand up no longer do. (laughs) Or even worse, we realize, oh, it's really hard to get up these stairs, or it's harder to carry the groceries in, or it's harder to ride my bike up this hill, or it's harder to pick up my grandkids, or, oh, no, I hold my back bending over to pick something up or even worse when you're in your seventies and you fall from a standing position and you don't have enough muscle to support your bones and you don't have a whole lot of bone density either because all of this stuff snuck up on you and then you break a femur. That's what we are preventing by lifting weights. So, these are physiological changes during perimenopause that, we, that make it harder to build muscle. You um, have insulin resistance. You probably have belly fat gain. Even if you haven't noticed, it is no longer as easy to, to build muscle and to repair muscle. All of these things have a buildup and they impact your ability to build muscle mass. I don't know if you've heard this before, but muscle mass is your metabolic engine. The more muscle you have, the more calories you burn. The more calories you burn, even at rest. And the more calories you burn at rest, the more you can eat. And the less you have to restrict your eating. However, it takes dietary strategies as well as exercise strategies to be able to build that muscle and to replace that muscle and to maintain that muscle. In addition to being able to regulate insulin better, muscle helps you burn more calories, even at rest, as we mentioned, and it helps you to uh, balance cortisol. It helps you to balance insulin. It's a protection against metabolic diseases such as metabolic syndrome, which is prediabetes. It is protection against type 2 diabetes. The more muscle you have on your frame, the better your blood sugar numbers are going to be, the better your triglyceride numbers are going to be, the better all of your health markers are going to be. And I don't know if you know this, it was a surprise to me, and I've been in health and fitness for over 20 years, but without consistent muscle building stimulus, if you just let age happen to you without a strategy to manage it, fatty tissue invades muscle tissue. So it's not this cut and dry line between muscle tissue and fat tissue. It has been shown on MRI that they just cross the border. So it, we it would go from looking like a nice, lean filet mignon <laughs> or a New York strip to looking like a pork butt. <laughs> and You just have all of this marbling in your muscle. And it's, and that not only is Bad for strength, it's it's bad for function and that can cause um, injury without even trying something that is easy to do suddenly you have an injury of wear and tear and it's no longer easy to do. I mentioned Gabrielle Lyon earlier. She is a practicing geriatric specialist. She is also a practicing physician that works with high-powered individuals around muscle centric medicine. And in her new book, Forever Strong, she talks about this muscle-centric medicine and the concept of how important it is to maintain your muscle. Because according to Dr. Lyon, our skeletal muscle is the largest organ, even larger than our skin. I'm sure you've heard that our skin is our largest organ. The skeletal muscle actually takes up more density, more depth than our skin does. And therefore, it is of vital importance to maintain, to protect, to continually build as much as possible that organ, to keep it strong, to keep it healthy. Now, Dr. Lyon studied as a nutritionist and as a geriatric nutritionist and studied protein synthesis under Donald Lehman. His work, even as early as 2003, was replacing at least a third of the carbohydrate that was recommended by, at that time, the food pyramid with protein, with dietary protein in midlife women, in perimenopausal and menopausal women. And those women that ate at up to two times of the dietary recommendations or the daily values of protein were able to lose more weight yes they were looking at losing fat and they were able to better positively affect their body composition without heavy strength training listening to his interview he described the dietary protocol that they that they just replaced about half of the carbohydrates with added dietary protein and everything else stayed the same and in their exercise protocol they were focusing on The deep stretch or the eccentric part of the lift. Picture that you're doing a bicep curl. The movement that brings the uh, dumbbell up to your shoulder is the concentric or the flex. The eccentric is the second part or the negative part in that you are lowering the weight. If you extend the time and the focus of that eccentric part of the lift, you are giving a bigger muscle building. Signal, So it doesn't even require as heavy as we used to think it does, or especially if you were just now starting a fitness routine. That, that doesn't negate the need to lift heavy, but focusing on the eccentric part of the movement, at least in this set of studies in Dr. Donald Lehman's lab, built more muscle and helped these women burn more fat, especially when adding extra dietary protein. And as I mentioned briefly in the introduction, strength training not only supports your strength, not only builds muscle, it's also going to help your aesthetics. There's a dual benefit here. It's going to be supporting your health, but it's also going to help you look better. So if we take our attention off of the mirror, if we take our attention off of the scale And focus on getting stronger instead. Focus on performing better instead. And do the things it takes to get to being stronger and performing better. And those things are lifting weights, staying active, getting between eight and 10,000 steps, eating well, including enough protein. And that translates to about one gram per pound of your ideal body weight. And getting enough sleep. If you're doing those things, if you're focusing on the habits that are going to help you get stronger and perform better, you will look better. One of my favorite podcasts says that if you chase health, aesthetics will follow. So the more I focus on my performance, the less I have to focus on how good I look. Let me say that again. The more I focus on performance, the less I have to focus on my appearance. Performance should trump appearance for midlife women, period. And if we can get that through our skulls, it is so hard to get that through our skulls because let's face it, our appearance is changing a lot during this time. Our hair is changing. I'm going natural for the first time in years and the gray is Definitely interesting. <laughs> Our skin is changing. I used to wonder why on earth when midlife women were characterized in movies and TV shows, they staring at themselves for hours in their mirror and stretching their skin back until I one day I caught myself doing it myself. <laughs> that was eye-opening. I realized I am putting too much weight on the way I look. I'm not going to look 30 again. I'm not going to look 25 again. I am getting older. I am 52 and that's okay. I am still beautiful and I am embracing that look. But the more I focus on how well I move and how strong I am, the less I have to focus on my appearance anyway. So let that sink in a minute. We talked a couple of weeks ago on, uh, or several weeks ago now after our break, we talked about mindset. We talked about this shift from our youth and our biological reproductivity to the grandmother status or the the status of authority, being able to embody a place of wisdom. And once we are able to change their mindset, it's easier to embrace the changes that our body is going through. Because let's face it, and this took me a little bit to really grab, and I want you to take the time it takes to really grab this in your mind. You will not look like you did in your 20s ever again. And why would you want to? Why would I want to have my 20s back when I am so much more sure of myself now? I've had so many life-changing, life-enriching experiences since then. I didn't go back to college until my 30s. I know now that the lies that I told myself in my 20s, that I wasn't smart enough for math or science, that all I could do was... Crafts and, and answer phones and do secretarial work and make music. And all of those things are wonderful. But that wasn't a limit that I really had. It was a limit I put on myself until my thirties. And in, in my forties was when I realized I can get a master's degree. I am smart enough for this. And I am so blessed and privileged to have been able to do that. But if I had, tried to do that in my 20s, I would have had this self-limiting belief that came from lack of experience. I will no longer be the woman I used to be. And that's a good thing. So I am choosing to no longer look over my shoulder at what I used to be. But oh, what I've lost, I am looking ahead at what I am gaining. And I invite you to do the same. You will not have the body of your 20s again. But you know what? Your body didn't go anywhere. You have the same body you had then. It has just changed. So you won't look like you did. Even if you get strong, your body has changed shapes. And that's a good thing. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about some of the myths about muscle building in women. One that you probably have heard forever and can we just please put this to rest because it is so not true heavy lifting makes a woman bulky it is absolutely not true at every stage and phase of life we do not have the testosterone on board that it takes to build a big bulky body we will not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger can I tell you this that as a bodybuilder in the 70s and 80s Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't have the natural testosterone on board to look the way he did. Let me say that again. Arnold Schwarzenegger did not naturally produce enough testosterone to look the way he did without injectable steroids. Period. End of story. So let's put this to rest. You will not get bulky. You will not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You will look like a firm, strong, healthy, vibrant woman. At any age. And that's what lifting heavy will do for you. Later in life, you think it's too late to build muscle. That is also a lie. That is a myth. It is never too late to build muscle. It takes a different approach, yes. And if you were doing circuits of 15 and 20 reps per set and um, finding that You can't keep up with that anymore It's because your physiology is no longer built to handle that kind of training. And that may have kept you uh, smaller and leaner, but now it's going to wear you out and you're not going to burn as many calories with that as you would with heavy lifting. Decreasing your reps, increasing your weight, and taking time to rest in between sets is the way to go, to build muscle, to burn calories, and to be able to achieve a stronger, healthier frame. Now let's turn our focus on how to incorporate strength training, not only to manage your perimenopause symptoms, this will help you to sleep better. If you exercise early in the day, it'll help you sleep better. It's going to help you manage your mood. There are studies that show that A workout, especially a consistent workout, leads you to make better food choices throughout the day. In other words, when you work out in the morning, you crave less junk food and you crave more healthy food. So you're going to be able to manage your peri-symptoms. You're going to be able to eat better. You're going to be able to feel better all the way around if you incorporate strength training. It's not going to hurt you. Proper form is very important, so if you've never done it before or if you feel like you need a quick check, uh, form check, then you should absolutely hire a trainer. Hire a trainer that is skilled working with menopausal women. If you need help and you want to work with a remote coach, I can be reached at Corey at Clear Path Fitness. I would love to talk with you about your goals, but at any rate, it's going to take a different approach, but it is going to help, definitely. In all of these areas in perimenopause, how do you get started? It will probably take less than you think. A full body session twice a week is enough to send the muscle building stimulus that you need. So it will take fewer sessions than you think. If you think that you need to be in the gym five days a week, if you have been in the gym five days a week, you probably have noticed that you're overtraining that you are not recovering well from your workouts, that you're having a hard time sleeping, that it's harder to, to stay in a good mood. It's easier to get cranky. You might be more prone to injury and you probably feel like you could eat everything in the house. That's because your body is overloaded and you are trying to exercise too much and so your body is sending cravings so that you will beat it. But if you lift heavy, it's going to take Shorter workouts because you lift more weight with less reps. So it takes less than you think. Fewer sessions, shorter workouts, and here's the kicker. You shouldn't work until you're wrecked. You shouldn't have to crawl out of the gym. You shouldn't have to find a wastebasket or a toilet to empty your stomach after a workout. So it takes less intensity than you think. It's going to take less than you think. It is so much more doable than you think. It takes fewer sessions, it takes shorter workouts, it takes less intensity. And I am willing to bet, girlfriend, if you've been trying to put together a workout schedule and workout strategy by yourself, you probably have incorporated longer workouts, more often in the week with much more intensity. And you are probably baffled. What more can I do? What can I do to make this work better? You probably aren't eating enough to support that either because our knee-jerk reaction when our body starts changing is to reduce what we're eating and to try to move more, to eat less and exercise, eat less, move more. That's been the prevailing wisdom. And yes, there is a law of thermodynamics that your body cannot escape, but there's so much more to the energy out side of the equation that we can't even see, that if we don't put enough energy in, we can't support that energy out. So here are some tips on putting together a good schedule for your week. Live twice a week. Let's do a full body workout. So you touch every single muscle group with about three sets per exercise, per muscle group, twice a week, spaced three days apart. So you would go on Monday and Thursday that gives your body enough time to recover, gives your muscles enough time to recover. During those intervening days, you're not just sitting on your butt. (laughs) You're also exercising on those days too. So if if you need the consistency of going to the gym every single day to maintain that consistent, regular workout schedule, then you can do these other things at the gym. You're also going to walk for stress management. It's better to do that outside in a place that you find peaceful. I, I love walking my neighborhood. I love taking hikes in new places. Those things, especially when there's sunshine, really help me to regulate my mood. They help me to, to absorb sun and synthesize vitamin D in my body. It also helps to manage my stress. At the end of a day, sometimes the best thing that I can do after working hard all day is to take a walk with my husband and just talk about our day. We do basically a, a recap, and uh, we're able to talk about all of our projects and get things that we're stumped on, get feedback on them, and just talking it through while getting some sun outside. has been such a great stress reliever for us. You also need to incorporate plyometric training. That probably sounds scary, especially if you're thinking it is box jumps or or long jumps you know, or burpees or things like that. You don't have to do that much intensity, but some jumping is going to be very important, not only for your muscle strength, but for your bone strength, bone density and bone tensile strength. What does that look like? That looks like 20 small jumps in a day. Balance also helps the bone density in your feet and in your legs. So standing on one foot for 30 seconds and then increasing that as much as you can, that looks just barely jumping up off of the ground, that might look like jumping jacks, but it doesn't take as much as you think it does. The more you get into this, the more you can do. You would also need to incorporate some interval training. So intensity isn't as important as we think it is, but it is important for your very short cardiovascular exercises. So doing short intensity training or short interval training, or sprint interval training, also known as SIT, IT, has been shown to help women not only increase muscle mass in working muscles, but to burn more body fat. What does that look like? That looks like uh, sprinting on a bike or an elliptical or even lifting a light weight quickly. That looks like doing that for about eight seconds and then resting or 10 seconds and then resting, coming to a complete recovery. I I like to use heart rate-based training for intervals. So I will work into a point of about 165, and that usually takes about 45 seconds, and it takes less time the more intervals I do. And then I bring my heart rate down to 130, and then I do it again. That is heart rate-based training. There's also HIIT training, which is, I'm sure you're familiar with, high-intensity interval training. That kind of assigns a more arbitrary number to the time that you work and the time that you rest. That would look like running for a minute and walking for a minute, for 20 minutes total. So you're doing 10 minutes of high-intensity effort. Now, you'll notice, and this worked really well for me in my 30s, You'll notice that by the end, by that 10th sprint, you're not as fast as you were in your first two, (laughs) but you burn more body fat and you actually do build more muscle. Sprinting is anaerobic and anabolic. Now, if you incorporate this short interval training, whereas you're running, we're just going to say running. I'm not saying you should run, but that's what I'm going to use just for ease of, of conversation. If you run for 10 to 15, even 20 seconds, and then you rest for a minute, 30 seconds to a minute, and then do it again, you're actually going to burn more fat than you would even with high-intensity interval training, and definitely more than just zone two training. These are necessary pieces of the cardiovascular puzzle. You're walking not to burn calories and not your cardiovascular training. That is for stress management That is for bringing cortisol down. That is for changing your nervous system response from sympathetic to parasympathetic, from fight or flight to rest or digest. And also the fourth piece here is mobility and yoga for recovery. I like to use yoga and I know a lot of women, especially in my particular faith, that think that yoga is is not a good spiritual practice. When I focus on my body and my mobility and the stretch, then yoga is one of the most centering things that I can do because I'm using breath work and I'm stretching and I'm using my body to move through a variety of poses that feels like a moving meditation. But I'm not thinking about any other gods. Sometimes I am using this as a meditation in my own spiritual practice, but I am never doing this on the altar of any god this is for my restorative practice for myself mobility training doesn't have to be yoga mobility training can be a variety of poses that help you to stretch your muscles and work on the strength in that end range of motion around your joint if you are interested in mobility there are several um, social media channels particularly on instagram that you can follow One of them is called the mobility guy. He has some good content there and he can show you a little bit of how to get started in making sure that you are giving yourself the right recovery tools in mobility, putting all the pieces together, your strength training twice a week, say Monday or Thursday, Monday and Thursday or Tuesday and Friday, Wednesday, Saturday, whatever works for you. You're spacing it at least three days apart. Full body workout, less time than you think, less sessions than you think. Then you are incorporating a in between those sessions, and this is each time, in between those sessions you're doing a a sit session and mobility practice. So you have at least six sessions a week. You have two strength training sessions a week. I wouldn't do more than three sit sessions in a week. And that sit can be hit also. Some women incorporate their sit session on their strength training days, and if that is something you can do, yeah. sure, go for it. I personally prefer to put those on separate days. Sometimes I'll work core or abs with my sit training, but I don't um, do that with my strength training because I want to leave it all on the floor when it comes to lifting. That's just my own personal preference. Let's, let's just say your strength training is on Monday and Thursday. Tuesday and Friday would be your sit training. You probably want to get some mobility, some stretching, some recovery work every day, but it's going to be at different lengths or intervals depending on when you're working out. Say, for example, on Monday, you do your full body workout. Monday morning, Monday night before bed, a 10-minute yoga flow is a great idea. That's going to help you recover. It's going to help you sleep better. The next day would be your sit training. Maybe do your core work, some abs. You can do it before or after. There's science to support that you can burn more fat around a muscle that you just worked if you do cardio after. But, you know, to me, you're parsing here. You start splitting hairs. So if you need the energy to get the sit session, get as much intensity as you can in the sit session, and then you can do abs, by all means. Do what's going to be the most consistently easy thing for you to do. The best time of day to exercise in most stages of life is the time that you will do it, period. Except for midlife. The best time to exercise in midlife it depends on your intensity. So mobility training, walking, that kind of exercise is great in the evening. But intensity needs to be done earlier in the day. So let intensity be your barometer. Let intensity be the guide to when you do it in the day. So before noon, high intensity. Later in the day, low intensity. Mobility or yoga can be done 10 to 15 minutes every day. On that on your off day, that you're not doing sit, that you're not lifting weights, add yourself a a longer mobility session, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour if you take a class and you like it. That's going to work. And that is six days a week right there with at least one active recovery day. That's best spent with people that you love. That's best spent outdoors doing things you like. That would be a good way to put together a schedule. So how do you support that? You support that by eating well. Let's talk about nutrition advice to support muscle growth and overall health. First, prioritize protein. You should be getting at least a gram of protein per pound of your goal body weight. Now, this whole talk is about focusing off of the scale and onto your performance. Everyone, though, has a a weight that they know they feel good at. My ideal body weight is 145, and so I would be shooting for 145 to 150 grams of protein every day. The best way I can say to hit that is to front load it. Eat 35 to 45 grams of protein in the morning at breakfast. What does that look like? For me, that tends to look like a two-egg omelet with some ground turkey sausage. If that isn't enough, I'll add half a protein shake or some yogurt. You also want to consider that you can count the protein that comes from a grain source or a vegetable source. Particularly grains and seeds are going to have more protein than a vegetable the quality of the amino acid profile is not quite as good as you would get from animal sourced protein, but it can still count. And then another tip is to get at least two thirds of your daily intake in before one. And if you're training in the morning, then that looks like your pre-workout meal, wait an hour and a half to digest, go to the gym, and then you get your post-workout meal of about the same size as the as your breakfast Shoot for 25 to 30 grams of fiber per day. And I'm going to say right now that you probably don't want that fiber in your pre or post-workout meals. And that is because fiber slows down absorption of your protein and your carbohydrate, especially your protein. And you want that stuff to be available. You want it on board to not only support your workout, but to start the recovery process after your workout. The best things that you can do for breakfast or for pre-workout and post-workout is protein and fruit, especially something like an apple or a banana. You're going to have less fiber in a fruit like that than you would say in a bowl of oatmeal. Shoot for at least 60 grams of healthy fat per day. Healthy fats are olive oil, nuts and seeds, fatty fish like salmon or tuna, those are going to be your main good sources of healthy fats. There, some dairy-based fat is really good. There's a constituent called CLA. It's a fatty acid chain that has been shown to be beneficial for fat burning, which also does impact your body composition. So some dairy, if you don't have any dairy sensitivities, is a good idea. You want to get at least 60 grams of healthy fat a day. And this is also for hormonal regulation. I find that super important for women in every phase, but especially important at perimenopause. So one gram of protein per pound of your goal body weight, 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day. That's going to be after your post-workout meal. At least 60 grams of healthy fat a day. And then from there, just let the chips fall as they may. Most of your carbohydrate, it's really great if it comes from fibrous veggies and fruits, but it can also come from other starches. It's a good idea to limit sugars mainly because sugars can be inflammatory. And because of the way estrogen impacts the immune system, we already have an inflammatory response that we're trying to fight. So try to stay away from simple sugars and fried foods. Here's the biggest tip right now. Do not under eat. Let me say it again. Do not under eat. I feel like I have to emphasize this because one in five women over the age of 40 have dealt with an eating disorder. One in five women over the age of 40 have dealt with an eating disorder, and that isn't even counting the chron- those that chronically undereat, especially avid exercisers. We chronically undereat to refuel our efforts in the gym. Raise your hand if you've been on a diet, or you've tracked macros, or you watched what you ate, or you deprived yourself of even healthy foods in the last year or two in order to reduce your size or your body fat. How about the last two years? How about more than once in your entire life have you counted calories and restricted what you ate so that you could be a smaller shape of you? If you are my age, if you were born in the 70s, you were alive in the 80s or 90s, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast, you probably have because of the images and the messages that we were bombarded with. I read this quote from a book written by Dr. Margot Maine, who is a certified eating disorder specialist. The book is Pursuing Perfection: Eating Disorders, Body Myths, and Women at Midlife and Beyond. And this quote literally made my jaw drop, and she said, "In today's United States of America, the prevalence of disordered eating behaviors and weight and shape concerns among women over 50 is now slightly higher." than the prevalence of breast cancer. And I would venture to say, and this is me, no longer Dr. Main, I would venture to say that chronic under eating can do as much damage to your body as breast cancer can. It's sometimes a slower killer, but it can lead to areas that can give you Bad quality of life. It can decrease your health. It can increase your chances of morbidity. Do not undereat. Now, it doesn't take a large calorie deficit to even burn fat. A slight deficit is appropriate for body composition changes only if you have a lot of fat to burn. If you don't have a lot of fat to burn, if you have say ten pounds you want to lose, then I suggest instead of cutting your calories. Make sure that those nutrition tips, one gram of protein per pound of body weight, 25 to 30 grams of fiber, 60 grams of healthy fat, enough carbohydrate to support your work, and then strength train. Do the schedule that we mentioned earlier, and that's where your deficit is going to come from right there. You will see a change in your body composition. So fuel yourself with intention. Eat intuitively by listening to your body's signals on a schedule, And really, truly give yourself enough love to make sure that you're eating the right foods. Don't be one of these one in five women over the age of 40. And by the way, that is about twice the prevalence as you see eating disorders in women age 20 to 30. Yeah, let that sink in. There are Two times more women in our age bracket that are going through eating disorders. They're being plagued by eating disorders and body image issues. Two times more of us than in our 20s. And we're supposed to be the wise ones, ladies. We're supposed to be the ones that are leading younger uh, generations of women to love themselves enough to be able to serve those around them. Let's change that. Don't be one of those one in five women. Okay, moving on. Let's overcome some barriers and challenges that are specific to perimenopause. So we're looking at fatigue, insomnia, joint pain, hot flashes, vasomotor symptoms. And a hot flash in the middle of a workout is brutal. I understand that. Then there's the myths of don't want to get bulky. There's the fear of getting injured, especially if you've never done it before. There's the fear of walking into a gym and being afraid that someone's going to judge you overcoming all of those different things is super important but as i mentioned if you train early in the day the you'll be able to sleep better that helps to fight the insomnia if you don't overdo it you're going to sleep better you will um, increase your energy by sleeping better by moving better by fueling your body better and therefore fight that fatigue now i have experienced this soul crushing bone breaking fatigue that women in perimenopause before. In fact, I'm still struggling with it. But when I have my sleep hygiene in chat, when I'm doing strength training the way I know that I can, when my thyroid numbers are right because it's being managed with my medication, then I'm able to kill it in the gym. <laughs> if those things are a problem, if you're not sleeping well, if you are having gut issues, if you are experiencing fatigue, If it feels like all of your energy is draining out of your feet and you could fall asleep standing up in the middle of an activity, I encourage you to get your thyroid checked if you haven't already. And then joint pain. Generally speaking, joint pain is attributable to muscle imbalance. There are two muscles that work on a joint, at least two muscles, and they oppose each other. One flexes the joint, one extends the joint. we were talking about the bicep earlier when you do a bicep curl, when the weight is up next to your shoulder, that is flexion. The muscle that is flexing it is the bicep. The muscle that is extended on the back of your arm is the tricep. So if I have joint pain around my elbow that is not nerve pain, then it's because one of those muscles is stronger than the other. Most often, the the pain is around your shoulders or your hips or your knees, but the shoulders, the pec muscles get stronger or tighter a lot of times by sitting. The back of our shoulders aren't as strong as our chest, so the chest muscle or the pectoral muscles are pulling down on the shoulders. They're overstretching the, the posterior muscles of the shoulder girdle, and so you have an imbalance there. That's what's causing that shoulder pain. Knee pain is usually is going to be a problem with the, the quadriceps being stronger than the, the hamstrings. Unless you have osteoarthritis, which is also a problem at this time of life. And so it's important to make sure that we recognize there are things we can control to make our life easier. And there are other things that happen just from wear and tear. And let's control, we can't. And also, if you do have osteoarthritis in the knees, one of the biggest things that they recommend to do to manage that is, guess what? Strength training, exercise. So the better your form is, the better you'll be able to avoid those muscular imbalances. And that's another good reason for that mobility training because that helps to fight off the muscular imbalance by making sure that the muscles are strong throughout the movement. Now, none of this is to say that it's easy, especially when you're doing something new. It is really hard to stay motivated. There are physical, there are psychological hurdles. There are things that make it harder to get into the gym. There are commitments. There are obligations. There is your job. There are schedules, family life. The best thing I can tell you about right here is to enlist your support staff. Now, what do I mean by that? Let the people in your life that you love and that love you, let them know what you're trying to do. If they don't know that you want to get to the gym, that you have this particular time in your day that you have set aside to work out, then they're going to come up with something to fill your time, (laughs) that time slot. But if they do know that you want to get to the gym, if they Truly love you and truly support everything that you're doing, or they want to see you happier and healthier, then they will make sure that they do what they can to support you getting to the gym. If they're hungry at that time, or they need this done or that dry cleaning picked up, then if you're not able to do it because you need to exercise and take care of yourself, then they'll do it. And if they don't, it might be time for an even closer heart to heart. And if you can schedule your day well, and plan your day and help them plan their day so that all of these things get done, then they will be able to truly support you. The other thing I want to say about this is motivation is an exhaustible resource. Motivation is a fickle lover Motivation will leave you. (laughs) Motivation is something that comes at the beginning when everything is new and exciting and shiny and vibrant and all hope is right there. And then a week later, oh man, I'm tired. Motivation starts really sagging. Also, if you haven't thrown away your scale, like I told you to, that, that filthy mean girl that lies to us and makes us cry. If you're looking at your scale to judge your weight loss or your progress, You're probably not going to see results, especially in a week. It is slow going. If you're using a scale to measure your your progress, that's going to kill motivation too. Let's not look for motivation. Let's look at non-scale victories and let's look at ways to maintain consistency. Let motivation fall to the wayside and let listening to your body cues, let knowing that you are consistently supporting your health And let the discipline of habits that you take on one at a time, let that be what fuels you and let that be what changes you. So non-scale victories. I'm sure you've heard that, but let's talk a little bit about what that means. These are ways to measure your success, to measure the success of your program in a subjective and objective way. It feels like the scale is an objective thing, but honey, That scale is only measuring your relationship to the earth. That's gravity. That's all that scale is measuring. It's not measuring how well your body is working on the inside. It's not measuring increased blood flow. It's not measuring increased energy. It is only giving you a read of your gravity. It's not even telling you muscle mass. If you have one of the scales that is reading your muscle mass and your body fat, yeah, it's bioimpedance. And even that is not... 100% accurate. If you're still weighing yourself, take it with a grain of salt and don't let it be the end-all be-all. Focus on how much energy you have. Focus on objectively look at this. Keep a diary, keep a log of your workouts, of how you feel, of what you're eating if you want, but especially that energy. Take notes. Monday, strength training. I felt fatigue i felt really tired after the workout two weeks later monday i felt ready for this workout and at the end of it i feel like i could just float out of the gym on so much energy that's the kind of stuff you want to look at if your energy is increasing if you're you are sleeping better if you're craving healthier foods those are all non-scale victories and in addition to that you can use more objective measures such as using a measuring tape just to take circumference measurements. When you are changing body composition, you likely build muscle and then burn fat, just because of the way the muscle is a metabolic engine, just like I mentioned earlier. As you accumulate weeks and months of strength training consistently, your body will change. Your body will look different. Your body will measure different. The scale may not change, but the way your clothes fit will change. And honestly, Because of the things that we talked about with estrogen decline, it will take longer than it has in the past. It will take longer than it does your favorite premenopausal fitness influencer on Instagram. It will take longer. So patience and consistency is so important here. Patience and consistency are your soul sister's sister. So stay consistent, stay patient, stay objective, keep records, take measurements. Don't just rely on the scale. And you're going to be able to measure your results and your progress in a much more consistent way. Another good way to do this is pictures just for yourself. You don't have to show them to anybody. It's just for you. Use the same position of your phone or camera. Wear the same bathing suit. Wear close-fitting clothing so that you can see the changes and take a picture of yourself from your front, from the front, from the side and profile, either one or both, whatever. And the back. It's so easy to take progress pictures and keep all of those in a file uh, that only you look at. And you'll be able to track the progress. And again, it's going to be slow. But that's okay because you are worth it and you're in it for the long haul. Finally... I just want to encourage you to embrace this transformative stage of life. You are going through a transformation. You're going through a transition. You are valuing your body for what it can do. You are protecting your body so that it can carry the fount of wisdom that you are because of experience and bring that to the women that you influence, your daughters, your sisters, your friends, your other relatives, nieces. And also the men in your life, your your sons, your brothers, your husbands, your significant others, every single person that you have influence on. And I promise you it is two to three times more than you think it is. Your body is going to stay strong if you take care of it so that you can share wisdom with them. I just would love to hear your your thoughts on this show. I would love to hear your experiences with strength training, any questions that you have, any opportunities to work with me. If you want, you feel free to reach out. Again, my email address is corey at canwejusttalkaboutthis.com. If you're interested in learning about what you could do working with me as a coach, you can check out clearpathfitness.com. I would love, love, love to talk with you. How am I doing? I (laughs) would love to hear your feedback or your comments on the show. Please go ahead and uh, reach out. If you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you have pithy remarks, you can include those as well. As I mentioned, we'll be taking a break after this 10th episode. This is season one wrapping up. It was as fun for you to hear as it was for me to record. If I could leave you with anything, it is to encourage you to know that you are a strong, vibrant, vital woman. You are a crucial piece of the fabric of our society. You are a pivotal, pivotal member of your family. You are respected. You are loved. You are so so much value internally. And your body is only a part of you. And it's probably the least interesting part of you. But your body can reflect the strength and the courage and the wisdom of your spirit. As long as you take the steps to take care of yourself and to age intentionally. All right, girlfriend, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next season.